0: Enough of us so far. We want to listeners. We want to go back to the second part of our interview with uh, Paul Biznasty Biznet. We're going to pick up right where we were speaking about his career and just joining the National Hockey League. So I mean, uh, now going to the other other things. I mean, obviously, everybody wants to to, to make in the league, but. You know, you made the adjustment. So the reality for you, I mean, how hard did that actually hit you when you actually arrived and took a look around what camps are really like? The,
1: the number one piece of advice I give to people that, that want to get to the National Hockey League level, like even younger kids, is is um, don't be stubborn in your role. You, you, I, I'm not saying don't try to chase your dreams. And if it is a skill guy that you want to be, you have to take a step back at some point and, and evaluate are you – are you lighting up the league on a constant basis? Cause, cause if you are okay, then, then sure. But if, if you're not and you're going to be stubborn and that's what you want your role to be, well, eventually you're going to find out no team has a use for a guy who thinks he's going to be, um, you know, a, a rusher when he's actually a crusher and then he's going to turn out being an usher. Right, Rick? Yeah. I mean, am, am I crazy yeah. here?
0: No, Rick, I mean the same no, thing.
2: No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And you know, it was a little bit different for me, obviously, is that, well, first of all, I thought I should have went fourth. I went fifth. Uh, Washington took Mike Gardner. That wasn't a bad pick. So Decent I, I pick. can't complain about that. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, but one of the things that I had to establish early in my career, which was really not part of my game, was the fact that I had to show people that I wasn't going anywhere. If I was standing in front of that taking a beating, that I wasn't going to – you know, they weren't going to intimidate me. So – I fought a ton my first three years pro and like you got the shit kicked out of me I don't know how many times I was knocked out cold twice and but I you know what I felt if I didn't do it I was going to get intimidated my entire career and they were just going to continue to do it so by them knowing that hey I'm sticking up for myself and if I got a whack across the arms of my titan that was about that big around and uh, break your arm I will and so that really helped open things up for me a little bit and gave me a little bit more room I think than uh, they were tired of breaking their hands on my helmet probably
0: more
1: than
0: anything else but uh, well, he my face oh, hey. I thought
1: you meant that hair and that hairspray Jesus you got well, some <laughs> you got some flow well, buddy my... you just
2: got to put a number on the side put a number hey. on the side. not bad for it not bad for an old fella. I tell
1: hey, you hey, what the hey, ladies hey, were probably uh, making panty soup up in the crowd when you were in warm-ups <laughs> that's for sure hey.
0: Hey, it's great. Tell the story about Sather, Senate with Semenko. I think the, I think Bizzell appreciate that one. Thanks. Oh, that was
2: that was. It was in the WHA, and uh, Semenko was in Edmonton, and Sather was a yappy little prick. And uh, every time I was went by the bench, he'd be yapping at me, yapping at me, yapping. Because I always scored against Edmonton for some reason. I don't know why, but that year anyway. So finally, we're lined up for a face-off right by their bench. And he is yapping and yapping. And I just turned around and said, will you shut up? I said, you were nothing but a pussy when you played. And, and he goes, I'm going to send some Mako out to you. And I said, go ahead. So anyway, with, that was a mistake, by the way. But oh, I, I man, anyway.
1: was so tough. So,
2: well, so I'm playing against him, and we're, I'm back-checking. Uh, Yes, I was back checking and uh, it was offside at our blue line. So we both kind of turned and he just reached around and suckered me. And then he grabbed me by the back of the sweater, hit me a couple more times. I was already out. Both gloves fell, fell off. We both got five for fighting. So anyway, I was out cold probably for about a half an hour. So we're playing in Winnipeg. Two night, the next night or two nights later, and I couldn't make the trip because my nose was, like, everywhere. And uh, But we were back in Evanson a week later. So same thing happens. He starts yapping, yapping, yapping. And I'm going to send some ankle after you. Yeah, he called him semi, I think. And I go, go ahead. So anyway, I'm, I I got the puck by the boards. I see him coming, and he's, I, he's got me lined up. And I go, okay, he's going to kill me. So I just got out of the way at the last second. He hit the boards and he fell to the ice and didn't wear a helmet. I took my stick and I just, little tap on the head. Just a little bit of blood, not a whole lot. You know, I didn't want to make a big scene out of it. And I, I leaned down and I said, you ever do that to me again and I'll cut your neck off. Mm. And uh, of course I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm either dead. Yeah. Or he doesn't have a clue <laughs> what I'm capable of doing. And... He's going to leave me alone. Well, he didn't bother me the rest of my career, you know, because I took a – it it was a a big gamble, but I took it, and it paid off because he didn't know if I was capable of it or not.
1: And and going back to what you were saying about how you fought early in your career, Dion Phaneuf came in the league as an 18-year-old defenseman with Calgary, and it's it's obvious that times have changed. And very similar to what you're talking about, he felt that he was getting challenged a lot. He fought 20 times, and progressively throughout his career, people just left him alone. They wouldn't they wouldn't go to the yeah. crease as hard as because I think that when when guys are aware that you you know you're, you'll throw down, you're going to hold your own. They tend to gravitate away from it. They 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 kind of let you be, and they don't want to be the ones getting their eyes pumped shut.
2: So coming well, out as of- a nineteen-year-old, mm. as a nineteen-year-old in the WHA, I led the league with two hundred and forty-eight penalty minutes, and I, that was a lot of beatings.
1: Yep. <laughs> was, but I, but you probably, probably got a lot of space five. out there after.
2: Yeah, you know what? It really helped, and Brof was their coach at the time, and. You know he sat me down a couple of times and talked about that exact thing and said you know this is something and i i already kind of knew i had to be a shit disturber in a, in a certain kind of way to get some space but he reinforced that in me and i went on and, and that first couple of years in the nhl was the same thing and then mike nikolak was coaching in 81 82 and he said "Rick, he said we need you on the ice not in the penalty box and that was the best words I ever heard from a coach in my entire life. <laughs> and then went on to scored 54 goals that year. So, Rick, you know, it, the coaches,
1: the coaches actually told me the opposite. They're like, "We need you in the box, <laughs> not on the ice." <laughs> that's what I knew. My that's what I knew where my career was headed.
0: <laughs> hey, so boys, this one's for both you guys again. So, coming out of your first pro camps, and we'll even talk about making your first National Hockey League teams. What like what did you guys find that was you weren't expecting or, or like did anybody take you under their wing and what were the things that you just sort of walked away from that you weren't expecting going to those camps and being a pro? Um,
1: you know, I was a little immature when I first got to pro. I think I got excited that I finally had a, you know, no, no real leash. I had some money in my bank account. Um, yeah. I was fortunate where I always had great leaders and I was part of great organizations. I played for, for three in my entire career. I played with the Kings who treat their players incredibly just as if, the, the Arizona slash Phoenix Coyotes when I played for them and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then, of, and then also being surrounded by good leadership, because, you know, they just, they run a tight ship there. I had Elaine Nazardine as my captain my first couple of years in, in Wilkes-Barre um, as well as uh, Terry, Terry Virtue who played a long time in pro uh, in the ECHL. And then after Crosby in the NHL, I went on to play f- with uh, Shane Doan for five years. So um, it's just, um, you know, it, it the, the the biggest uh, surprise, which it shouldn't have been, was just how professional the guys, especially the ones who had long careers, were. Just they, you know, every day come with that working mentality, work boots on, first guy there, last guy to leave, um, taking care of their bodies as far as what they were eating. They weren't drinking too much, um, and and they weren't partying. So it's it's really changed, Rick, and and you can you know you could attest to this. It, it used to be where you know, you put your bags down when you got to the next road city and everybody would go out and, you know, grab a bite to eat and, and a bunch of beers. And, you know, it, it was a drinking culture. And, and, and that's, that's the culture that when I first hit pro, it was, it was very similar to that. And you slowly saw it fade away where, I mean, I think Hal Gill and Bill Guerin, my first couple of training camps when I was there in Pittsburgh, you know, they would have a six-pack after games waiting in their stall and that is now it's a po- protein shake and the vitamins which is fine cuz the game is getting faster and it is getting better but it uh it it's definitely changed.
2: Rick what about you? Well there's no yeah there's no question about that. I I went to Vancouver and we had so we had some great leaders don't get me wrong. We had some great, great uh players who led by example but we didn't Go out quite a bit and uh they they were the ones kind of leading the pack and saying okay we're having lunch and uh and god love them uh just passed away jack mclehart was one of the guys that was one of our big leaders and uh donnie lever uh dennis kearns uh harold snaps like those are the guys that kind of protected you and took you under your their wing unfortunately under their wing was to bar and uh, <laughs> uh, that's the way it was mostly every day, and, uh, but uh, God blessed uh, Jack and, and uh, condolences to his family because uh, he was a great guy, a uh, great person, and uh, he was a great teammate as well. And that, that was a big thing back then was regardless of, of how we lived, it, it was different than it is now, as, but you have to be different now because you have to be in great shape, you have to take care of your body. But regardless of how it was, these guys were all fantastic individuals. Like they're just—I mean—in the room and, and out of the room, I played with so many unbelievable people that it was—it's uh, hard to name them all because they were all great people. Uh, regardless of how we lived, it was a different era,
0: but the but the players were wonderful. So now Biz, when you finally actually made it. Uh, I don't know if you know or not, but you scored your first goal on November the 12th in 2009. Do you know who you scored it against?
1: Oh, yeah. I I could tell you every shift that I probably had in the NHL. That's how few I had. When it comes to goals, I I have seven. I'll remember every single one. And, yes, I scored against Carey Price at home. We ended up losing that game. I got in a fight earlier in the game, but I scored a fucking goal off my skate, Rick. On hey, carry price but, but when my grand when hey, my hey, grandkids hey. ask me i'm gonna tell them i picked it up behind the net i I dodged three four checkers i split pk suban and markov and went bar down on carry price it's exactly how i will describe it to my grandkids Absolutely. well you know you, hey, can you add. should
0: well you know what else you can add november the 12th 1931 for you guys was the opening on Maple Leaf Gardens in the first game at the Gardens by the Leafs. So Biz, you scored on the 78th anniversary. So as a grown up Maple Leaf fan, look at that little tidbit you can add to it for your grandkids.
1: Oh, I love this uh, this podcast. Everything comes uh, comes back tied to the Leafs. <laughs> hey, Rick. <laughs> Everything comes back the the center of the hockey universe.
0: <laughs>
1: well, I'll
2: set it up for you guys um, between Toronto and Montreal. It pretty much those two cities are the center of the hockey universe. I would have. To, oh yeah. I would say. I mean, growing up, well, especially for me, uh, when there was only twelve teams, uh, I mean Montreal, Toronto. That's that's all we saw. We never got to see any of the other teams because that's all that was on hockey in Canada. Yeah. Uh, but
0: uh, but it was, you know, Toronto and Montreal. That was it. So. Boys, for you guys, again, I guess that these questions can work for both you guys. Uh, You know, when, uh, so we'll start with you, Biz, again. When it, was there a moment that you knew that you actually had made it as a professional? Like there was some sort of acceptance in the room from the players or you got that look or the nod from the coach or something you knew, something you did, a fight, a goal or something, or that, just that one moment that you knew, I think i have made it.
1: Well, it's probably a fight. I want to hear that. Uh, A a, a couple instances. uh, I, when I was playing with Pittsburgh, I got in a fight on home ice against uh, Matt Bradley of the Washington Capitals. I ended up squeaking a punch in and, and uh, ended up knocking him out. Um, and it, it, was, it was weird because all of a sudden now when I was going out in Pittsburgh, people were starting to recognize me and stuff. So that's kind of when I was like, oh, my God, this is like really weird. Um, and then the, the second moment when I realized that I'd finally like established myself and made it, made it. Um, was um, we were actually in Nashville. Funny story, it all comes back around. Eh? The place I was drafted yeah. when um, I ended up signing my first ever one way contract. And, and I got a two year deal. Uh, and Brad Tree Living, who was the assistant general manager, he's now the, uh, he's with uh, Phoenix at the time. Now he's with Calgary. Um, yeah, he was in communication with my agent. I was like, oh my goodness. I think I was a healthy scratch like 10 games in a row. And then my agent called. He goes, "He goes, hey, they want to uh, sign you to a two-year extension, a one-way." <laughs> I thought he was fucking with me. I say, "Yeah, okay." I say, "I'm just happy you're not calling me to let me know I'm getting sent down." And sure enough, I end up signing that one-way, uh, two years, and it was it was really cool. I called my my parents, and you know, I I'm, I'm a pretty conservative guy, and at that point, you're you know you you know you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right.
0: Hey Ricky, what about you? So, I mean, you guys. In Vancouver? Well, I don't.
2: I was on a one-way pretty much from the beginning. I mean, it wasn't – it's funny because my son played one year in Bridgeport, signed a two-way with the Islanders, so he was making whatever it was, 600 I think was the minimum then, and he was making 150 in the American Hockey League. And he was sitting on the couch, and I said, do you realize that if you spend the whole year in the American Hockey League, you're making $30,000? Dollars more than I made my first two years of the NHL combined because my first contract was 60 60 65 70. Crazy. So you know, yeah, it was, but mind you, that was a long time ago. That was 1979. But um and uh, he just laughed and he he didn't believe me, but sure enough, that's exactly what it was. But I you know what it was, I guess when I got to Toronto. There was some bad moments in Vancouver. Harry Neal and I didn't seem to see eye to eye. And I don't know what the problem was uh, exactly. But when he told me I was traded, we got to Toronto. uh, Punch Himlach was still a general manager. And he said to Billy Derlego and I, he said, you guys are going to get a chance to play a ton here. Just go out and do the best you can. Be the best at what you do. And, uh, keep your noses clean and you know sure enough everything kind of turned around right right there in Toronto for me and uh, all I did was concentrate on doing the best I could every day and, uh, and that included practice I I wasn't a good morning person and the guys used to know that and they'd get on me sometimes in the mornings and like I mean I would throw things at guys and, and run guys in practice because I, I wasn't a morning person and they knew that they would get under my skin and that's how I that's how I proved it. Every day was like, you know, I gotta be the best, and I gotta I if I gotta run a guy in, in a drill, I'm gonna do it. You know, that's it's the only way that you're gonna get better is by every day trying to get better. And uh, I used to stay after practice and shoot pucks and tip pucks in front of the net. I used to go on the ice half hour before anybody with a bucket of pucks. It was probably the the best moments I ever had in my life, actually, was just me at Bakery. Oh, starters, buddy! It's
1: firing, therapeutic. Firing them up, therapeutic. firing them off
2: the glass. It is. You, you know what, Biz? You're absolutely right. It, it was therapeutic for me, and I loved every second of it.
0: So now, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I can hear you guys. I mean, and it's, it's, you know, you you put the work in, you're going to get rewarded. And I mean, that's one thing about hockey and hockey players, and most things in life are, are attributed to that. And it brings me to that next sort of phase in your life is where you've become very well-known and that's in the social world. And you're one of the first guys to get on Twitter and really take advantage of that. What, what gave you the inspiration to do that?
1: Uh, Scotty Upshaw asked me, uh, you know, why don't you get on Twitter? You can really joke around on there. And I just didn't understand it. Um, I heard Charles Barkley talking about it how stupid it was on ESPN at the time. And I'm, I, I, I agree with him because a lot of people, what they were doing, is They were doing it to just update people, being like, this is what I'm doing. This is but then I realized that you could go on there and joke around and interact with fans. So um, when I hopped on one summer after training, uh, it was this, you know, the season after we, we were getting some time off. And I remember Scotty Upshaw saying, I said, ah, I'll check out what this is and it, it, it just became fun that, that that you know you could be that close with fans and, and give them a, a glimpse of inside the life of what it was like to play in the National Hockey League and I didn't take take it for granted for a minute so I think they were just grateful that you know the, the fans were getting like oh like what's going on on, the, on their plane and you know I'd be posting a picture of like onside, inside the private jet or, or whatever it was so they found it fascinating it was something that happened very organically and um, I'm fortunate because I think the the one thing that a lot of guys, after they spend their entire lives doing something, is they don't know what's next. Half of these guys probably played junior and didn't take their education seriously because they thought they were going to play hockey forever. And the ones that that did is is you walk away with not a lot of life skills outside of hockey. Mm-hmm. Well, I was fortunate where I get to now stay in the game and and be involved in media inside the only thing that I've really ever known, and that and that's hockey. So. Um, it, it took me on a wild ride. And, and you kind of alluded toward toward at the, the end of your what we said about the last answer is the hard work. is, That's one thing that hockey taught me is you got to get up every morning and you got you to gotta work. You got to put the work boots on. And I've never been shy um, to, to, to work hard. I kind of got that from my parents, especially my mother. And uh, and it's kind of just led into what's happened post career, and you know I I couldn't be gr- more grateful for it.
0: So that I mean you 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 built up this network of fans and this following, and and you know the funny thing is there's this guy Biz Nasty on uh, Twitter. He's got, he's got funny things to say, and I think that coyotes actually even did they tell you to stop for a little bit because you're they thought maybe
1: you spent a little too much time doing that. They they had to call me in to to, to tone me down of the things I would say on there um, at one point I deleted my first account because my agent told me to get off because he he heard rumblings that I was on here just creating up a storm and he 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 I remember he called me he's like, you, he goes you got to get off Twitter there's there's no good that can come of this you know you just fly under the radar you know play hockey and that's it and uh, you know that that he he couldn't have been more wrong <laughs> he could not have been more wrong about social media and I'm glad I hopped on back on because all the fans, the Coyotes fans were messaging the team and calling the team and saying, why, why did you make him get off social media? Yeah. And they they were like, "What? like, what are you talking about? We don't, we, I don't know if we, we knew this guy had a Twitter account and they said, Hey, why don't you put her down a little bit and hop back on when the season gets back going? And I did. And, and then it's gotten back to where it's gotten to now. That's why the, the first one was biz nasty. Now it's biz nasty 2.0 that's why that's where the name derives from
0: (laughs) okay so well i know uh, well no go ahead funny thing is
2: well you're talking about twitter and instagram and i just started on instagram like maybe five months ago six months ago and uh i do a lot of things i'm out doing alumni games and appearances and everything i make sure that i you know use my phone which I don't really know how to use all that well uh, but I make sure I get it done I do have a guy that does my social media for me and, and kind of ties everything in and so on but I make sure he gets the content and puts it out there and I, I think it's a great thing you know especially for me at my age um, but I'd hate like hell to think of what it would have been like if it was around when I was playing because there were some characters back then that oh yeah it would have been insane. It really would have been insane.
1: <laughs> and, and going back to what you're, you said about the, the you know, you, you, you jumped on Instagram now and you're around the town, you know, whether it's signing autographs or, or helping kids out, it's, yeah. it's all about staying busy and just keeping your mind right. active. And that's, that's why when I say I'm so grateful for it is, I'm one of those people we talked about it earlier on about how I need to stay moving all the time. I need to keep doing and, and, and trying to grow and do these, all these experience, all these different things. And it's opened up those avenues for me in, in which you're, you're talking about. Now you get to go do all those things. And, and I'm sure you, you being on Instagram, I mean, it led to us doing this interview. Yeah. Um, it'll lead to us getting you on the spit and Chickles podcast. And it just, it, it opens up all these different avenues. I'm sure you're, you've done, you know, 10, 20 things because you hopped on social media.
2: Well, you know, the. it's uh, it's made a big difference. I've done, I don't know, probably just through Instagram alone. It's probably led to about 35 or 40 appearances and ownership in a racehorse. And like, I mean, you name it. There's been so many things that have happened because of that. So I'm grateful that I did get on and uh, all these kind of neat, Good things are happening now, and, uh, and my son's a whiz at it. My youngest guy, my well, he's a, he's much the same as you. Hey Mike! To-
1: Mike, I uh, I wonder how many uh, how many of those ladies that were sitting at the Toronto Gardens uh, have been have been messaging in the DMs uh, on the Well, Instagram. I don't know.
0: <laughs> kind of oh, they're, all, they're all dead by
1: <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not funny to laugh at their dad, but, uh, that they're dead, but that that was that was that was just fucking funny. <laughs> well,
0: but you know what? <laughs> but the thing is, Biz. You know what? Like my son Ryan. Well, too, when you called today, we were talking, my son. All his buddies. That's your. That's your demographic. Like, yeah. you ask one of those kids who watched the game last night, and he gave, no, but he can tell you every play that happened, every comment that came out of the game, and every player. Like today, when we were talking about uh, when I was listening to Shaw today on your podcast. He knew right away who the player was, and he hadn't listened to it yet. But that's your that those kids. Like we old dinosaurs, oh, yeah. like me and Rick. I mean, we're the guys that you know. We're this is all new to us. But for you. You picked up on this, carried it, and it led to spitting chiclets. So, I mean, while we're on that wave, I mean, how did that all come about? And that's just taken it to a mother hole level.
1: So I had this idea of when I retired, I wanted to create this show where you'd show up to the rink with your hockey bag and you, you'd get in a locker room with the boys. You'd open up your hockey bag. You'd have your gear. You would never actually end up getting dressed, but there'd be beers in there. And, excuse me, you'd sit around telling stories. And I have a lot I, we did a lot of crazy shit off the ice. Um, and I didn't even know what podcasts were at the time. So I, I told, I told Keith the handle the idea. I ended up going to St. Louis after my time with the coyotes uh, on a PTO and uh, Ryan Whitney was there and we played together in Pittsburgh. And I told him the idea and he was like, Oh, that'd be awesome. You know, we, we spent every waking moment during that PTO together and, Halfway through that next season, I think he ended up finally retiring, and he said, I want to start a podcast. And uh, who's with me? And he tagged me, Colby Armstrong, and, a, and a, I think a couple other guys. And I texted him. I said, hey, I'll, I'll definitely do one with you after I'm done playing, but I still got a few, few more years in the tank, and you know, I want to enjoy my career. Well, Rear Admiral, a, a sports journalist from Boston area, a big Bruins fan, He'd reached out to Ryan. He'd done work with Barstool uh, in the past, and he said, hey, I'll start a podcast with you. I have a mixer at my house. You come over. We shoot the shit on the couch. We, we interview guys, and th- that's how they started. Mm-hmm. Well, over, you know, over the course of their first whatever it was, let's say 40 episodes, um, Mike Grinnell, who's now our producer, had reached out to uh, our uh, rear admiral on email. And he said, Hey, you know, I think I can approve the overall sound quality and I I have a really good mixer and I could produce your guys' podcast where you could just worry about being the host. And R.A. ignored the email. And sure enough, a couple episodes later, what happens? R.A.'s mixer breaks. R.A. goes back in his email, messages Mike Grinnell and says, Hey, my mixer broke. Why don't you meet us here next week and you can record? And ever since then, he hopped on the podcast. So now it was Rear Admiral Witt and Grinnellia as a producer. Well, I finally retire. I did some film project, and I said, hey, let me get my feet wet with the Coyotes organization. And after the season, we'll see if I can end up hopping on. I told the Coyotes, hey, I'm going to hop on this podcast. We joined forces. And at the time, I think they were getting around 50,000 listeners an episode. And now, you know, with adding the Canadian demographic, because we have, I have a strong one we're, you know, we're averaging over half a million an episode now. And it's, it's, it's crazy what it's gotten to, and we love it. And we're forever, I mean, if I, I do not know, what's my grateful count on this episode? Probably about 20. I'm, I'm, it's, 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 it's saved my post career. I'm so happy that it happened.
0: So why is it so successful? There's so many podcasts out there. What it is that you what is it that you guys do that you bring to the audience that that you think is different than everybody else? Like, why do you think it's so successful?
1: Well, it it just adds it tell s- a lot of funny shit for well, sure. Yeah, yeah that, too. <laughs> yeah that too. I mean, I told some pretty wild stories. Now I got a girlfriend, and I'm and we're pretty serious. I, I, when I first got on there, I I, I tell stories about you know some of the, the one girl you know I, I, we don't need to go into, go into details but it, it just got wild and i think that's what kind of drew everybody in initially and just the stories and the camaraderie we got ra who's a, a blue collar sports fan he's giving his perspective we have ryan whitney who who you know was kind of that silver spoon kid growing up who was a very, very skilled player at the national hockey level, made a lot of money, has a lot of credibility. And then just kind of the, the hard nosed guy who clawed his way to the top and got all the experiences from the NHL. And, and it's, it's a great mix. I think we're all similar, but yet different in a lot of areas. And, and I don't know, it just, it, it took off. And, and I think that, uh, I think people are enjoying it. And, and I think given what hockey fans, what they pay for tickets, and, and, you know, how how expensive it is to take your family, I think it's nice and I think that they deserve to hear and get entertainment for free and hear about all these guys' personalities and stories from behind the scenes because then they're going to find out how, you know, wacky and and down-to-earth some of these guys really are.
0: Well, see, what, that brings me to the point that I wanted to bring through all of this is the National Hockey League has always been, and you touched on it, Rick's touched on we've all touched on this, that hockey players are – brought up to be team oriented guys no me 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 it's all you know we 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 and it's all team oriented so there's no there, there's no sort of standing out and making these outlandish statements like a basketball player would do or some of these baseball players and stuff like that when it's all about you know self-promotion and the league's had its no doubt had its cast of characters with the ronics and Hulls and the Longos and avery's and all that of world Worldview and all these guys do you think like, and when I listen to your podcast, what I find interesting, like, even though I know a lot of hockey players and, and guys' personalities, but when you hear a guy like Scott Gomez come on there, I would never in a million years dreamt a guy like that would have the stories and the personality that he carried forward. And this guy was so down to earth and so humble And the way he talked and told stories. He had me in stitches the whole podcast. And this guy, this guy should have his own show. And he's just one of the dozen. So the point being is, is this NHL? Like, they've got to behind the scenes be applauding you guys because this is what everybody says National Hockey is missing, personality. Like, PK Subban tries to do it a, to a certain degree. Yeah. I,
1: you
0: know, see, see where I'm going with this? is This well, is something I think the next stage the NHL has to get to. Would you not agree?
1: Yeah, and I, I think that uh, we have our own little bubble, and it, it's, you also got to keep everybody happy, and that's what's so hard, hard with corporate brands now is, you know, we have some people who, who don't like our podcast and don't like what we talk about in, in some of the subjects we do focus on. Um yeah, but it, it you know it's uh we're we're just trying to grow the game and, and I think that uh when people become just as excited about the personalities as they do as the product on the ice, it just puts your product that much more over the top. So I don't know. I don't know what their feelings are, but you know, we're we're grateful that they've been supportive of us, and and we want to keep this thing going. We want we want to get hockey to the place where it's worldwide and where it's being played in China and, and where it's being played you know, all these different places that it's not being played, and 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 it's to the size of of the NBA, maybe yeah. even who knows the NFL, which that's a, that's a mega ship.
0: Well, I mean, if it takes off in China, who knows what the possibilities are there? You know,
1: exactly the
0: population. So I mean, so this- as
2: you were saying like you guys have just kind of taken off and everything but and you played in the ECHL earlier this year you know how everything shut down the ECHL the guys didn't get paid the last three weeks and I give you guys a lot of credit for for you, you the uh, initiating the uh, the fund to help these guys get paid and of course my son's one of them so I'm happy with that but uh it's not just about that. It's about just like the thought of you guys just going ahead and doing that. I, to me, I th- thought was, was unbelievable. And, uh, uh, but so that tells me that you've never really forgotten where you came from and how you got there, uh, for you to go out and, and take that initiative.
1: Yeah. So, so what you're alluding to is when this all got shut down, the ECHL where your, your son was playing at the time, um, they, they, they were the first ones to cancel everything because the owners yeah. in that league, they have to pay for the apartments. It just didn't, lo- didn't look like there was light at the end of the tunnel. And unfortunately, it's the type of league where, you know, these guys don't have guaranteed contracts. And I, at, at the time, it was uncertain whether they were going to be paid their last three weeks. Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, started my professional career in the ECHL. I was fortunate enough to be on an entry level contract where I had teammates that were making, you know, $250 after taxes a week. And I know what these guys go through in the summertime because they don't get paid throughout the summertime. And some of them, you know, are so passionate about hockey, but yet they can't afford training and or the proper you know, supplies in order to get themselves to that AHL level and or the NHL level. And I talk about the ECHL quite a bit on my podcast and I'm actually grateful I got to spend uh, uh, close to two years there because it it was, it was silly. You know, we were staying at the motel sixes and, and, you know, guys, you know, guys (laughs) were doing it strictly for the love of it. And because I'd spent time there and I know what I'd imagine a lot of those guys are going through, especially when they heard they weren't going to be getting their paychecks and that's not even talking about guys who have wife and kids to worry about. I figured guys, let's, let's try to raise a little bit of money here. Um, we'll get some sponsors together. We'll release some of the interviews that we've done. We'll do it in video form on YouTube. And I think with with the GoFundMe and all the sponsors together, and and also uh, he he's not going to be happy that I say this. Dubas, GM for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, he reached out and he said, "Hey, we want to help out." He donated money as well. We had one of our fans who's from Denver who who wrote a check for 10k. Just some random guy who's got money. So I think collectively i think we're going to get close to maybe a hundred thousand we're at least over 80 grand and and i think that all the players are going to see every dime that they should have for that last three weeks and hey if we can do our part to help whatever it, it, it was it was cool to do it was fun the fans got something out of it and of course thank you to the sponsors as well budweiser bud light Boikies, dhm detox and, and can i brands were the were all the the five sponsors
0: so any of, the, any of the viewers or listeners want to make a contribution, can they still do that? Is there somewhere they can go? Yeah, to- they
1: can go to the Barstool website. I think we still have the GoFundMe up, and, and uh, anybody can go donate. And, and, and listen, it's, it's a very difficult time. That's why it was great to get sponsors on board, um, because we understand a lot of people you know, either got furloughed and or lost their jobs to, to the what's going on with COVID. So we didn't necessarily want to, to to ask a lot of people for money. But hey, for those of you who have been fortunate out there, if you want to chip in and help these guys out who provide entertainment at a, a lower level, go ahead and do so.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, guys, I, mean, I mean, it's getting near that end where we've been going on here for some time now with you, Biz. But uh, we to got to get a couple stories out of you. I know you love to get the stories out of the guys that come on. You had some wild times probably in the minors, so maybe a couple that maybe a couple of your early ones that maybe stood out. That might've been fun ones. And Rick, I'm going to come at you too with one.
1: Well, Rick, I, I was telling the ECHL that, that the experiences I had, well, we, we, in uh, in Wheeling, we used to have this sleeper bus and this thing used to fucking break down all the time, all the time. And of course we're going to play Johnstown and, uh, luckily we have a booster bus that's following us and, it breaks down halfway on the way to the game and they, they can't fix it. So we have to actually get all the boosters off the booster bus. They help us load all of our bags over into the normal bus. And they sat on the side of the highway and waited until our, our bus was fixed. And they took it to the game where we got there, you know, just in time because they were, they were behind us and they gave us their bus. Yeah. So the, uh, so th- th- these fans, man, they're, they're not only loyal and willing to follow us to games at those lower levels, but in a time of need where we would have been late for the game, they even give us their their booster bus. So that was, uh, that was a wild experience. Like slap shot. It, was like, it was like slap shot. And, and those yeah. are the little moments at the ECHL level that kind of – they put a little hair on your nuts and make you appreciate when you get to the NHL and you're on a private jet eating filet that life is very, very, very good. So what was one of your
0: first uh, NHL stories that kind of would have you just going home at night chuckling? Because again, it'd be new to you when you finally get to the show and first kind of bit of a shocker of a story coming home, or maybe it didn't shock you.
1: Well, just, I mean, of course, at the NHL level, guys are, are making quite a bit of money. And I, uh, I I'd, I'd spent that first year in the NHL up and down. I played, I ended up playing 15 games. I was probably there for about 35 and I uh, had the chance to play with Evgeny Malkin, as I mentioned. So the following year, I was at training camp. And they'd, uh, they'd gone to the finals and lost to Detroit. And Malkin had an incredible season, hit all these bonuses in his contract. So I'm riding the stationary bike next to him, Rick, in, in training camp. And uh, the PR guy at the time comes over and he drops off an envelope. And, and uh, Gino, as we call Evgeny Malkin, uh, as he's riding the stationary bike, sweating. He peeks in, and, and, and you could see a smirk on his face, and he puts it in the cup holder. And I kind of – I said, Gino, I said, what is that? And he goes, check. I said, check check for what? And he's like, bonus. I said, show me. And he kind of like uh, – and I said, come on, show me. And he handed it over to me, and I looked inside of it, just shy of a million bucks. I couldn't believe my eyes looking at a check. I thought it was a phone number for, cry, for crying out loud. It was, uh, it was. Although they are seven digits, but it was just shy of a million bucks. And I said, "Oh my goodness, these, th- 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 this, this is the National Hockey League right here." So that, that, that was a that was a quirky story that I had. What
0: about you, Rick? The WHA the NHL? Well, the last
2: uh, just a little story about how kind of things progressed. And, and my last year in uh, Buffalo, we were going to San Jose. It was San Jose's first year in the league. So we went out there about four days early. And of course we had stopped initiations and the hazing and all that kind of stuff. So what they did was if there was however many rookies they were, they would take the whole team out for dinner and they would pay for it. So we go to this nice restaurant, not too far from the hotel. And there's uh, LaFontaine, myself, Dale Howard, Chuck, and we're all there. And the whole team's there. We have five rookies I believe at the time. And uh, so anyway, all of a sudden I look and I see a couple of guys are ordering Dom Perignon and, and like $300 bottles of wine. And I looked at, I talked to Dale and La Fontaine and I stood up and I said, guys, you know, be reasonable. Like, you know, just, I mean, $75 bottle of wine is fine, but not two or 300 And anyway, at the end of the night, the bill still ended up being like, I think it was eight
1: thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! So those
2: five, those five guys had to split that eight thousand dollars. But boy, it was a great meal.
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> my! Um, the shrimp, guy,
2: the shrimp were about that big.
1: <laughs> guys uh, taking advantage of rookie party—that's that's, uh, that's a, a tale as old as time. The the worst one that I heard was Chris Bork, and I thought I want to say it was in Boston when he got called up, and he was the only rookie rookie. And they ended up racking him up for just shy of twenty five grand. One guy; he oh. was the only rookie on that on the. T- now his his father's Ray Bork, so I'd imagine he's probably got a nice trust <laughs> set up. So I don't think too many yeah. guys are are feeling bad for him. But oh my, some the, the surf and turf platters, the the expensive bottles of wine, the Louis. That I, I had a shot of Louis the Thirteenth at my rookie party. It was in Chicago, uh, but that they they call what do they call it? Um, they called it a prairie fire, so they get me a shot of Louis the Thirteenth with I think it was over a hundred dollar shot, and they doused the rest of the glass in uh, in in Tabasco sauce. Tabasco sauce, yeah. So I had to shoot well, this I thing. Go. I I ended up going back. I a good one. one for you. Oh Jesus! Light the campfire. You, you,
2: you know Darren Pang. Oh yeah. Obviously, you you, you work side beside him probably few a few nights a year. So when I was in Chicago, we're in Hartford, which actually was Springfield because the roof had, uh, oh no, we were in Hartford. And uh, so instead of them buying us dinner, we said, okay, we're going to go to the bar and we're going to drink. And the rookies, every, I forget what it was, 15 minutes or half hour would have to drink a shot of Jägermeister. So... One of the guys was chewing tobacco and was spitting in a shot glass and happened to put it on the table. So the waitress comes over with a whole tray of Jägermeisters, puts them all on the table, time to drink. Panger grabs that glass and swallows it. (laughs) And I never saw a guy run to the bathroom so fast and puke his guts out for about 15 minutes and then came back and then grabbed one. And threw it back and said, okay, I'm good now. And Penny are all about what, five foot seven, maybe?
1: He ain't a big guy.
2: I don't know. I don't. Oh, he was a great guy, a great teammate. Oh, he's great, awesome. Great
1: that, uh, oh my goodness, that is disgusting. I'd yeah, imagine I <laughs> there's a lot of people that are, uh, that might even be puking out their window in their their pickup truck listeners <laughs> to this right now. That is that is next level, man. Well, you don't yeah, want to be drinking so... chew, chew spit.
0: That's not a good one. Well, Biz, just uh, in, in, in a wrap here, what's uh, what's on the horizon for you? Like, are you going to be doing any traveling during the playoffs?
1: Well, so well, I got to g- go, call. Like... What's that? Oh. Uh, what's before
2: that? Rick? go, I got to take, take wit on in, uh, in a game of golf, too.
1: Oh, hey, so are you, so are you any good? You any good, Rick?
2: Uh, I'm, I'm a five.
1: Oh, shit. Oh, my God. I'm like a 25. Uh, Wits, probably like a two or three. Wits getting really good. Um, yeah, we'll have to do a sandbagger with you. I, we do these sandbagger Absolutely. invitational. But the, what's on the horizon is i got to call the Coyote games. We're going to be doing so at a Gila River in um, Glendale, Arizona. We're going to watch it on the Jumbotron and, of course, yeah. call the games that are happening in Edmonton. Um, and, then, uh, and then, you know, once uh, – if the Coyotes make a deep run, I'll be here if, if they're eliminated at some point. I'm going to head over to Boston. We're going to get a bunch of live interviews and, and we're going to do a bunch of podcasts and just really be watching all this hockey. And, and, Oh, I, I hope this thing gets off the ground because I need some form of entertainment and, and hockey does it for me. So we're going to look to expand on video content, more podcasts and, and, you know, just, just like we talked about earlier, Rick, just keeping the mind busy.
0: Well, that's awesome. Uh, Biz, we want to uh, thank you. You've been a great guest. Some great stories, and I uh, loved having you on, and thanks for taking time with us today. And uh, best of luck going forward. And maybe we'll see you at the same bag or open when you come up here. Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, <laughs> maybe, you,
1: maybe, you could car- carry Rick's bag. I don't know how good you are. Oh, maybe no, I'll-
0: no, no, no. I'll, I'll be playing. I'll match up like you.
1: Oh, you're pretty good too?
0: Oh, no, 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 no. I'm about like you.
1: Okay, perfect.
0: You and I will be <laughs> even.
1: That'll be a good match-off then. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. But see, I – the the
2: difference is is I'll get inside Witt's head. So that's
1: that that ain't hard. That he's a bit of a mental <laughs> well, midget, but oh man, that's know lot, I mean that that's what age
2: does to you. It gives you all that that uh, wisdom, and, and I get I know what things to say to get inside of his head and everything
0: else. So, and I learned a lot of that when I played
2: too. I'll have so. him
1: give you a noogie, so he messes up your hair. Maybe that'll throw off your game. <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, guys, we want to give a big shout out and thanks to Paul Biznasty uh, Biz for coming on and enlightening us on the world of spitting and chicklets and the social media world, which is a little above the heads of me and my uh, partner, uh, Squid. Uh, it, we're <laughs> new to it. We're, uh, we're filtering along. We're doing the best we can. But uh, boy, oh boy, it's certainly taken a life of its own. And he definitely is a character, isn't he? We, we love this guy. Oh.